This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're talking about special needs planning. So with me today, I have financial planner, Julie Chadwick. Welcome, Julie. Hi. So here's the thing is that planning for personal needs and financial security of a loved one who has a disability or a special need really can seem overwhelming for people. And while the process may not be easy, it doesn't have to be that difficult. So it's important to take the time to understand the basics and get the professional help you need so you can proceed in a very organized fashion. Right. This is a really daunting task for a lot of people um, with, you know, dealing with family members with special needs or need abilities that they need help with. Yeah. So today what we're going to talk about is the basics of the special need planning, and we're going to suggest some strategies that might actually be appropriate for you. So here's the thing. Let's talk about the statistics, because I think the statistics are a little bit scary. Yeah, and you're not alone. You know, um, people with a disability or special needs, um, Cornell University said 12.7 of the United States residents report of having a disability. Yeah, so this is a significant problem for people. It's a lot. And the statistics also kind of show that it ha- it happens with young children and it happens with older senior citizens. Right. I think a lot of times people are thinking it's just children, but obviously mm-hmm. those children grow up. So, yeah. So 10.6% of people ages 21 to 64 have a disability that or need a special need. So that's a significant part of our population. But whether it's autism or a child or whether it's dementia of, of a senior citizen, it can affect a lot of people. So that's why we wanted to do a show about it. Yeah, one in 59 um, children have an autism, Isn't autism that crazy? spectrum disorder. That's yep. such a high number. Right. It really is. Okay, so what is special needs planning? So special needs planning is the process of providing for the personal and financial security and the well-being of a loved one. So it's not just about the money. It's about the personal security, and it's about the personal well-being also. Right, and it can be the individual taking care of setting those things up or groups and, and people that help out with setting these up. Exactly. So people who make these, it might be a child of yours. It could be a sibling or a spouse. It could be your parent or a relative or a friend. So it really is anybody that just needs this extra level of care. Now, there's certain goals that special needs planning is trying to accomplish. So one of them is to balance your present and your future needs, your own, with your loved ones, right? So if you have a special needs child, talk about that for a second, you have to take care of your own self personally and financially, but you also have the challenge of taking care of somebody who can't necessarily take care of themselves personally and financially. Right. And a lot of times what we see is that person that who is that caretaker is usually they, you know, they run mm-hmm. down, get themselves run down. Yep. And they're not going to be any good to that person that they have to take care of if they don't take care of themselves. Exactly. I saw something on social media the other day that said, if you don't take time to take care of your wellness, you'll be forced to take time to take care of your illness. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that hits it right on the head. So, so balancing your needs and their needs is one. Another goal is to create and implement a personal care, a financial plan, and a legal plan for the person that has the special need. Right. Those are three important parts that you have to all make sure mm-hmm. that all of them are taken care of in order for the plan to work. Next, the goal is to communicate your plans to all of the relevant people. And then you have to review and revise the plans as needed because life changes. Yep, the life changes and the needs are going to change too. So you have to adjust those plans. Yep, exactly. Okay, 
So there are certain risks that happen if you don't plan ahead. And if you don't plan ahead, certain decisions are going to be made for you and the one that you love. And it might not be the way you want things to roll. Right. If the state has to come in and take care of it, they might not uh, give the needs of that your loved one that you want for your loved one the way that you intended if you don't communicate it. Right. Or the way the state does it might damage some of the other planning that you had done and you don't want that to happen. So if you don't plan ahead then a lot of decisions will be made for you. And some of them that will happen is there probably will be an appointment of a guardian or a conservator, and that's not going to be maybe who you want it to be. The state will determine how much of your estate your loved one will inherit. And what happens if the money runs out? Yeah, that could be a bad deal. That's going to take care of your loved one then, right? Mm -hmm. So the planning steps, there's really four steps. Create and implement a current personal care plan for your loved one, step one. Step two is to create a transition plan for continued personal care as the circumstances change. Step three is to create and execute a legal plan. And step four is to create and implement a financial plan. So it starts with the personal needs. It accounts for transition. And then it winds in the legal and the financial side of things. Right. So, Julie, kick us off with step one, creating and implementing that personal care plan. What, what kind of people provide this care? Well, that's that's the question is, it, you know, who's going to provide for it? Is it going to be you or family members or friends or is it going to be, you know, a professional, either part time mm-hmm. or full time? Because you might not be able to do that or your loved ones might not be able to do that or the special needs might be beyond, you know, family help. So you might have to, you know, instill some professional help, too. So you have to notify or figure out who that's going to be. So along with the who, you have to think about the where. So where will your loved one actually live? Are they going to be able to live at home independently Are they going to need to live with a family member or a friend? Or are they going to have to be in some type of assisted living arrangement? Right. So then that's where the kind of financial comes in, too, because you have to adjust for those things, for the different levels of care. Exactly. And and so when you're creating and implementing this personal care plan, there's really six core areas that you have to make sure are taken care of in a personal care plan for someone that has special needs. Number one is... Who and how are the household chores and other daily tasks going to be handled? Mm -hmm. Sometimes people can do them themselves. Sometimes they're going to need assistance doing them. It's like buying the groceries, paying the Mm -hmm. bills. Who's going to handle those things? Yep. The second core component of a personal care plan is the washing and the dressing. So how do we make sure that the person that needs care stays clean and is dressed appropriately and can take care of those things? Right. The third one is preparing the meals. So how do we make sure that they have the right healthy foods to eat to support and sustain them? If they can't make their own, you have to, you know, provide Mm -hmm. a delivery service. So, yep. Next big one is transportation. How do they get where they need to go and in a safe way? Right. If it's just even to church or if it's the doctor's offices or if it's to the movies, whatever it might be, those transportation, you know, obviously you have to make sure that you're covering for that. The fifth core component of the personal care plan is figuring out what are your loved one's medical needs. Can you make sure that their medications or their injections are administered properly? Or do you need to hire someone to provide that care? Or is there any special equipment that they need to have that's an ongoing need? Right. And that kind of transitions right into the safety issues. You want to make sure that, you know, if ramps or rails need to be installed, like the house is safe or, you know, the the areas are safe that they can get around within the home. So those six core components of a personal care plan are... Number one, household chores and other daily tasks. Number two, washing and dressing. Number three, preparing meals. 
Number four is transportation. Number five is medical care. And number six is having a safety or emergency plan. So that's how to go ahead about creating that personal care plan. Now, the second step then is really about creating a transition plan. So if you're going to be that loved one or the person taking care of them, you have to plan for when you're gone or maybe if you're unavailable to be able to do that. So you want to have a plan in place so this is not left up to randomness. And the goal of the transition plan is really to ensure continuity of your loved one's care and supervision. Really, that's the big thing. Mm -hmm. It truly is. So it's an extension of the personal care plan that we just talked about. And this is about choosing alternate people and services who are best able to replace those in your original plan if they're unable or unwilling to perform the services. Right. You want to make sure that they, you know, they the services that are needed by the special needs person isn't going to be interrupted if you're unavailable or the loved one's unavailable. Yeah. So this is your plan B. (laughs) Yep. There you go. (laughs) Okay. Third thing is then to create and execute a legal plan. So when you're thinking about creating and executing a legal plan, there are really some legal precautions that need to be in place. And the legal precautions that need to be in place are going to need to to be documented. In our opinion, they should be done by an attorney. Mm -hmm. And they include kind of a a four-pack of documents. Now, normally we would say three-pack of documents when it comes to legal documents. But in this case, when it's special needs, we got to add another one. Right. There we go. (laughs) So, Julie, what's the first one that we need to make sure we have when you're creating and executing a legal plan for special needs? So the first one is your medical directive. It's what you're... So that your loved one's wishes regarding important future medical decisions about their own care. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that that's respected and that their wishes are, you know, what they want have done. Right. So if you're not there to help protect the medical decisions made for them, then a written directive that is a legal document is something that should be honored by the medical teams taking care of your loved one. And they need to know that you have those available, too. Mm-hmm. The second is a durable power of attorney. And this is when... Somebody is going to be authorized to handle your loved one's financial matters when they're needed. So usually this doesn't come into play until it's actually needed. Usually it's a standby document, but from a special needs perspective, frequently it's already in place. Mm-hmm. It may be you have the power of attorney now, but if something happens to you, who's that secondary power of attorney going to be that can pick up and take care of things if you're not there to do it? Right. And then once you're gone too, the next one is your last will and testament. You know, it's who the guard, the guardian, you, you need to designate who the guardian is going to continue care for your loved ones, mm-hmm. you know, to provide the financial support for them, to coordinate their provisions, their other financial needs that they, you know, that they have. You want to make sure that that's all in the will. Yeah. Now, here's the tricky things about wills. You have to make sure your will is lined up right, but you also probably want to have a will in place for the special needs person. Mm-hmm. They may not have a lot of assets, but at the end of the day, it's possible they could have some. And so you kind of have to be responsible for helping with their documents as well as your own. And they might be getting some of your assets too. So that's going to be that transition too. Right. You can use your will to provide financial support for your loved one's future, but you have to be sure to coordinate these provisions with other financial plans that have been made. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Now, the last thing really that's important in the four pack is here to have a letter of intent or instruction in which you can express specific personal wishes regarding the ongoing care of your loved one. 
This letter is not legally binding. So if you want something to be legally binding, you're going to want to put it into your will. But having a letter of intent or instruction is a guide for how you want things to happen. And that's why we think it's important to include with this part. All right. It's just kind of the extra little things that, you know, you want people to know about the care that's needed. Right. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're talking about special needs planning. So we've covered the implementation and creation of a personal care plan, as well as the transition planning that would come after that. We've talked about creating and executing a legal plan. And the last step in special needs planning is really creating and implementing the financial plan. Right. People's biggest fear is just that burning out of money, your loved ones running out of money or making sure they have enough money to be able to get the care that they need. Right. And the other big thing is coordination with other benefits that they might be getting. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, too. But when you're creating and implementing a financial plan, um, what you really have to focus on are three things. One is to estimate the monthly cost to care for your loved one. We've got to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Number two is to project the cost over your loved one's expected lifespan. And that may be a different number depending on what their special need is, Mm -hmm. maybe a different number than yours. And we've got to factor in inflation. That's usually the one that people forget. Yeah. So this is where somebody like us, somebody in a financial planning role can help, help you figure out what those costs might be through some budgeting, help you figure out how to project the cost of those and what an appropriate inflation rate would be. You also want to wind into the financial planning what insurance pieces are going to be there. So are there health insurances? Is there disability coverage? Are there long-term care insurances that would cover your loved one? And or is there life insurance? Not so much life insurance on them, but is there life insurance on you so there's money available to help take care of someone if something happens to you, should you be the primary caregiver. And that, again, a lot of times is what people are not looking at because they're so engulfed in taking care of the loved one, they forget that this is an important piece that needs to be taken care of on their life. Mm -hmm. Now, from a legacy perspective for you, too, we've already talked about how important your will is because you can use it to name a guardian of your loved one. But this also is an important thing to keep track of is how your beneficiaries are listed. So making sure that your beneficiary designations are aligned with your special needs planning. Now, that all then correlates with the need to preserve government benefits. Right. And this is where special needs planning really gets tricky. So some government benefits are needs-based, but not all of them. And you also may need to legally protect some assets in order to maintain entitlement to those public benefits. Right. A lot of times there's limits of what, you know, earnings can be and that type Mm -hmm. of stuff. So if you want to make sure that you're not going over certain earnings, which would eliminate other benefits that might be available. And it also triggers off of asset levels. So if your loved one has access to more financial resources than the government allows, he or she might not qualify for benefits anymore. So an important part of your special needs planning should really focus on legally ensuring that your loved one is eligible to receive available government benefits. So let's talk a little bit about what those public benefits are. There's a lot of different sources of government benefits, but primarily you've got federal aid, state aid, there's community aid, and there might be some national organizations that have aid. Depends on your situation. But there are certain benefits that are not based on financial need. So let's talk about those first. First is Medicare. So Medicare is the federal health system for people 65 years or older 
or certain younger people with disabilities and some other qualifications. The other thing that's not needs-based is Social Security disability income, okay? It's not based on financial need, I mean. So SSDI, Social Security Disability Income, is a program financed by Social Security that is benefits payable to disabled workers, disabled widows or widowers, or children, things like that. So those type of benefits are not based on your financial need. Now, what's confusing for people when we say Medicare and Social Security disability income is not based on financial need is that Medicaid and supplemental Social Security income, which is SSI, not SSDI, are needs-based. <laughs> right. And the people that it's very confusing. That's why you really have to understand the differences between them all. Right. Because the needs-based ones are if you earn too much, you're going to cut yourself out of some benefits that you're entitled to. Right. So... Medicare versus Medicaid has some different benefit levels and different qualifiers. Social Security disability income and Social Security supplemental income are two different things. So you just definitely have to figure out the difference between the two of those. Now, there's some special needs planning techniques that are permitted by federal and state law to maximize your available resources. And that is to to allow you to do certain things. It's to allow you to use the government resources that are there for primary needs. And then families can use their personal resources to provide for non-basic needs or as a secondary support kind of level. So this is where it gets tricky. (laughs) (laughs) But most people solve this by using something called a special needs trust or a supplemental needs trust. Mm -hmm. Okay. So special needs trust were created back in 1993, and if they're properly drafted, then the assets in there will not be counted as available assets against these needs-based formulas, and trust disbursements will not be counted as income in these needs-based formulas. Which is the trigger that would, you know, possibly exclude you from some certain government benefits and stuff like that. So you want to make sure that you have the right amount of, the right of assets in there yeah. to protect. Now, there's three types of special needs trust. There's a self-settled or a first party, which is really pretty much done by a person for a person. There's also called a pooled special needs trust. And then there's a third party special needs trust. Now, each type of these trusts has certain rules. And each type of these trusts have different payback requirements. So I'm just going to talk about real quickly a couple of things. That first party or a self-settled trust is usually created by a parent or grandparent or guardian. It avoids the Medicaid and Social Security supplemental income look-back provisions, so that's nice. The assets in the trust will not be counted as resources for eligibility purposes, but upon the individual's death, uh, the special needs person's death, any money remaining in the trust can be used to reimburse the government for Medicaid benefits extended to the individual during their lifetime. Right. So you are protecting them while they're alive, but once they're gone, it's just kind of a payback program. Yes. Now, the pooled special needs trusts are usually managed by nonprofit organizations. They have sub-accounts for each beneficiary, and they generally have that payback provision, too. Mm-hmm. The third party is usually created by a parent or somebody like that. There's no payback requirement, 
but it only works if the creator of the trust doesn't have a duty to support the individual, mm-hmm. like if it's not required by law. Right. Um, the individual with the disability doesn't have to be a certain age, but it, these third-party ones can sometimes trigger the ineligibility and the penalties. Right. So those are the ones that you have to be a little bit more careful of. So while there are a lot of different ways to, you know, help the help the set up the system correctly, mm-hmm. you got to make sure that you're not eliminating some other benefits that might be available. Exactly. So one of the things that's come along more recently is a planning tool that's called an ABLE account. And an ABLE account is a tax advantage savings vehicle. It's kind of similar in some respects to a 529 savings account. Um, but it's available to individuals who disability began before the age of 26. Mm-hmm. So that's something that's kind of interesting about it. And usually account funds generally don't count towards the personal asset limit for Medicaid or Social Security supplemental. They're operated by the states, and generally you can only have one account. Contributions are made after tax, earnings are tax-deferred, and distributions are tax-free when they're used for qualified disability expenses. And there's some limitations on them. Like there's a certain amount you can take out, you can put in, and things like that. So ABLE accounts are just opportunities for people to set aside some additional money that can be used for people that meet the criteria. So it can be used with a special needs trust or sometimes instead of. It's kind of nice like the 529s where other people can contribute to it too. So if there's other family members or people that want to help out, they can contribute to that as well. So that's another place that we can come in and help as financial advisors. One would be analyzing investments that you have inside of a special needs trust. And two would be helping you understand and set up these ABLE accounts, um, you know, in the context of your special needs planning. So in conclusion, if you have a loved one who has a disability or has special needs, what you really need to be asking yourself is how can you help set them up for the best financial future? And if if you want to help them, then some of the strategies that we discussed might be the most appropriate ones for you to actually integrate. Right. And it's kind of a good order, the way to start going into it. So looking at the care, you know, the financial mm-hmm. and the well, the financial and the well-being will come, but really the personal care and the safety and all that really should come first. So it just kind of puts it in line. Absolutely. So we hope this has been very valuable to you when you're doing your own special needs planning. And thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. Views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sturk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sturk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555.